You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to In the Dome this week. We are brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports and they have tons of pools going on every single day of the Tokyo Olympic Games. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the app, you go to pools, and you choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use the promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to 50 grand in total cash prizes every day of the games in Tokyo. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That promo code is THPN, only for a limited time at DraftKings.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast, podcast, podcast. All right, how are you doing? We're today is all about uh, free agent recap, free agency recap, the frenzy. That was a real frenzy for once, dude. That was an actual frenzy. It was like, remember last year when it was like nothing happened? Like most years, it's just like this big hype, and then it's just kind of a dud. That was the biggest frenzy I've ever seen. That was a frenzy and a half. And I mean, if you're a Flames fan, this is often a day you kind of really have a lot of anxiety about. Um, and because we've seen Brad Chilevy make, spend a lot of money on this day and make a lot of mistakes in the past on this day. So, Well, this has been his biggest weakness. This is, this is where he's made his biggest, most horrendous mistakes as a general manager. This is where he's been hit, made his biggest mistakes, and it's like he just can't seem to help himself over the seven years he's been here. He just like he he can't stop. He cannot control himself. It is it it has seemed to have been because like the bottle Troy Brower, and the minute the ink was dry on that buyout, uh, he's out there giving James Neal an insane contract. So. It's, so it's, been a, it's a bit of a, a bit of an addiction for old old Bradley. Old Bradley. What were your thoughts going into the free agency? I know I was listening a bit to our last episode. <laughs> and one thing you were concerned about was sure we got the geo cap space opened up. You were really concerned he was going to go out and blow it right away, which for the most part he has. Um, we'll get into the signing of Coleman, obviously, as the rest of the other ones. Uh, we, we, we won't be covering the draft yet today, the entry draft and the selections. We'll save that for things quiet down a bit. But I want to get your reaction leading into it, during it, and then after processing it for a couple of days. So start us off leading into it. Where were you at? Well, I think leading into it, and you were probably in this boat as well, I think we are starting to get a bit upset with because all these deals are going on, right? Um, 
you're seeing Sam Reinhardt traded and all these guys who would be like perfect fits here, you know, like not really getting traded for much. And yep, there goes another one. There it's just like one. everyone's gone now, right? In the trade market. And even though I knew the Flames were probably going to be active in free agency, I still think and still do think that the only and best way for this team to actually get better and actually get on the right track in terms of uh, what's on their books in terms of dollars coming in is through trade. So heading into it, I was kind of getting a little annoyed that there were no, there wasn't any movement going on. There were no trades, whether or not for improving the team or opening up dollars or so on and so forth, or a combination of the two. That's why I was at heading into it. The day yeah. of, I would like, say I was I was in the same space. Yeah, I mean we obviously we had to, to deal with the blow with losing Geo. Um, Which, by the way, okay, listen, all these trades that took place. Are you telling me off. they couldn't have got something for Geo? Come on, man. Are you telling me that? You're telling me that the 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 Arizona Coyotes were able to trade. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson and his absolutely terrible, horrendous, very bad, no good, awful to stay away contract. And they got the ninth overall pick for it in return. So I don't know, man, with how much a, there was a lot of movement and how much B defensemen got paid. Like defensemen were the commodity. This free agent day, like holy shit, so many defensemen get paid, so many bad defensemen getting paid. Like, I, I, I have a hard time believing there, there wasn't someone out there who would be willing to take a flyer on Mark Giordano and give you something in return. So that also kind of irked me as well when I was seeing all these big deals and all these defensemen going. And again, like how Derek Forbert signed like a ridiculous contract, and Travis Hamannick, and like all these guys who suck are like getting all this money and like defensemen, like I said, commodity. They're like just their 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 stock is sky high right now. Just saying, probably could have got something for Geo. Hundred percent, you could have got something for Geo. So, and then we're processing. I mean, okay, I'm sorry. Like, what could you have got for Chris Tanev if you decided to flip him right now? Like, whoo. Seriously, eh? holy shit, man! Like this defenseman market is just nuts. Like somebody would have given you the uh, king's ransom for Chris Tanev at this point. Anyways, I digress. Well, if and and the, here's where it's at. This is kind of like you're looking at the last stab at it. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. That's where this organization sits right now. This current team, this roster. If nothing happens in the next year, next year. Are re- like I don't see how they're not rebuilding. They need to. Maybe they won't. But that's well, I, the, I can see this dragging on for probably two more, like this year and then the next year. Like I could see that happening. And watch them because here's what I was about to say was, yeah, you're right. They won't read the writing on the wall before it's you know while you, while they should and be able to recoup assets. They'll probably drag it out and wait yeah. wait until the assets waste away, and they'll do it when it's too late. I think you have to measure what Sutter's got two more seasons. Yeah. You have to put a a massive measurement on what happens this season on what you want to do the following season. I don't necessarily think you should look at this as a two-year window. Yeah. Mostly you got to look at as a, you have to look at it more of a one-year window. If you don't see some playoff success, I'm talking at least get to the second round this season. 
you got to really look at starting to blow this thing up. Yeah, 100%. You have to be like we were so upset about last time, proactive in this situation for once. If, let's say, you miss the playoffs or get crushed by Vegas or whoever in round one this year, you can't pull this same song and dance again next offseason. This is it. Because what I was going to say is, like, you threw it out there. What could you get back for Tanev? I mean, there are some contracts on this team that if he did go through a rebuild, you could you could start acquiring some some really great pieces in return for for dishing some of these guys out if you if you choose to go that way yeah totally and i mean the blake coleman signing and the moves the flames made uh made it clear for i mean i don't know if anyone was actually thinking they were (laughs) gonna not go all in this year um but it's quite clear well you said it enough times right the fact that sutter was hired as long as sutter's here they're still going for it 100%. And I, I'm trying to kind of get into this headspace because like, sure. When, when the Blake Coleman signing was announced, I think like a lot of people, I was in the, I like the player, but the contract is scary because how many times have we been burnt? Like we said off the top of this, how many times has Brad, Brad Living made this mistake already? Yeah. So at this point, it's like, even if you love Blake Coleman, which I do, and think he's a really good player, you've seen this situation play out more than twice (laughs) in Calgary where they sign a guy, a forward who is on the wrong side or just about to be on the wrong side of 30, and it kind of blows up in a disaster. And not not only have you seen it on the Flames, you've seen it league-wide for time immemorial. So... There's obvious concerns with, with signing a deal like this. I'm not letting myself get excited about it. No, me either. And I don't think you can because. No, I like, I, I <laughs> there's not even a part of me that really wants to. It's just like, like you mentioned, it's been burnt. Those, those two past times when we're literally, man, that those two past deals with Brower and Neil has really, you know, put Bradshaw into a, a tough spot cap wise with if you compare if you didn't have that money on the books right think of how much freedom you would have to actually make this team a lot better exactly that's where i was going to go with this this feels like a a move that the flame should have made two or three years ago do you know what i mean where it's like let's say you have no inefficiencies elsewhere in your roster on in terms of what you're in terms of what guys are making this is an absolute fine deal if your yes. books are if your books are clean elsewhere. If Lucic is making five two five, like this is a slam dunk deal for me. But the fact that you're making this deal now when you have literally zero cap flexibility now, and I mean like for me, it for better or for worse, it always comes down to the money and it always comes down to is this team going to <laughs> finally be like fiscally responsible in the way that they need to be in order to build the contender they're trying to build. And it never seemed the answer never seems to be yes, because okay, again, Blake Coleman is probably an AV value, but Holy shit. Is it tight? By the time you sign all of your RFAs, including now Nikita Zadorov, I always want to say Zadorov. Like, I don't get that. It was Fedorov, Larionov. Why is it Zadorov? Stupid. Um, but anyways, by the time you get all your RFA signed, like you're, you're up against it. 
And then my big concern has always been and will continue to be is what happens next year because you have the looming summer of Gidroke, Chuck, Manjapani coming up here. Like, and now you have, let's say, Zadorov signs on the high end, 4 million, on the low end, 3.5, 3.25 in that range. Now you've got $7 million not available to you next year um, that you can't allocate to Gaudreau, Manjapani, and Kachuk all getting big-time raises. So, I don't know. Th- this team is in such a tight spot fiscally. It's just every single tra- every single penny this team spends has to be under the microscope at all times just because, you know, they're up against it so hard right now. There's, it seems to be how a lot of GMs operate. Hey, instead of, and there, there are GMs and teams that do the opposite. I mean, if, that spend really wisely. They save every penny. Teams like Carolina have done it great. I know that's one of the reasons why you really appreciate what, what they've done with their roster and managing their cap. Whereas you have guys like tree living, Benning, and maybe it's just because of the market they're in, but every single year they spend up to the cap to the point where you're like, well, how is he going to deal with this next, next season? Yeah. That's why they lost Markstrom last season because, but there's always a way out. Right. And I think that these GMs like Brad tree living, spending all the way up to the cap, you, you know, the scenario you just painted, it's kind of like, yeah, procrastination. Let's do it later. Right. We're just like, I can clean up a mess later, but when you, when you end up in that situation, then you start losing pieces for nothing essentially because you have to get rid of them so you start giving them away right whereas as opposed to you know teams like carolina i think colorado's done a good job they're like incrementally adding and adding it's almost like an organic growth where they they're not they don't allow themselves to go out and splurge until it's time and maybe it is because the market's different maybe in a Canadian market you got that pressure i don't i don't really know it sounds like that's the situation in vancouver Maybe not so much in, in Calgary, you don't hear about it, but it's pretty interesting seeing the two different approaches and the success seems to to follow pretty closely as well. Well, yeah, I mean, like, again, look at the, look at the Colorado Avalanche on cap friendly. You won't see a bad contract on there. Like they just went, they just spent like the last two weeks, like really mulling over what they were really willing to give Gabriel Laniscog. And if I had to guess, I think they probably gave them Gave him a lot more than they really wanted to, but at the end of the day, kind of conceded for one of their cap, like their captain. But I mean, their books are clean. Their books are pretty much spotless, and they're spending what less than we are right now. Um, and I mean, I know they have a good value deal in McKinnon, but I mean, we got a good value deal in Gaudreau as well, and we had a good value deal in Geo for a really long time. So. Again, it's just it always comes back to it always comes back to the numbers for me in terms of what what's going against the cap and the allocation of resources. And again, I really like Blake Coleman. I think he makes the team better, but it just feels like there's too many inefficiencies elsewhere for me to just be like totally like ready to like yes, we're 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 totally back in it now. Because again, like <laughs> Lucic, that Lucic contract is killing you. I I crunched some quick numbers like into next season. Like if you're planning on signing Manjapani, Kachuk, and Gaudreau, you're gonna have a really hard time making that work while filling out the rest of your roster just to keep the team that's there now together. 
Like, because Kachuk's getting $9 million. Kudrow's getting, if he's on the team, if they want to keep him, he's getting probably starts with an eight. Mangiapane, like, I don't know how, met, how many more years you can keep putting him off. I mean, this is why I've kind of been banging the drum that he should be on this Lindholm deal for the past two years because, like, he's not going to have a great season this year. He's going to be awesome this year. He's going he's gonna to cash in. So his next deal is not going to come cheap. So yeah, it's I don't like know. The, it just, it, the, the math is going to screw this team at some point. It's like the betting situation last year when you're yeah. looking at you got Besser, you got Pedersen, Hughes, and Markstrom to deal with. You're going to lose one. And that's what happened. So it could be the same situation where, like you said, if you want to address the rest of your team and there's there's not much cap, they don't add to the cap level, then you might be losing one of these guys. So we'll see. I mean, interestingly enough, there has been some rumblings that the Pittsburgh Penguins are interested in Lucic. <laughs> um, probably Brad doesn't want to give him up, though. Eh? Probably not. <laughs> Like, and I'm not even joking. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I know you're not joking. That's but, the sad state of affair we're at, where they, they, he feels that the value is there, that he doesn't see the opportunity to get rid of that. That's probably Brian Burke, eh, over there. Oh, that's Berkey for sure. You know it. <laughs> the fact that there is rumblings, I mean, sure, I would be getting out of that deal as fast as I can. Obviously, they, they probably want Calgary to retain. Right. Well, they probably either want Calgary to retain or take back a contract. Right. So some people like, oh, Jason Zucker. Jason Zucker's contract isn't great either. Um, But I think at the end of the day, to tie this in a nice little bow, to bring it back to my my hypothesis that the Flames need to still make a trade of significant value that involves significant money to either A, get better, or B, uh, give themselves some cap flexibility heading into next season. I still think that needs to happen. Whether that's Monaghan or somehow um, unchaining yourself from Lucic by doing what we've seen some teams do um, in terms of like sending picks to take guys' contracts on, something either needs to happen or you're going to lose one of Mangiapane or Gaudreau, I would imagine. I mean, Monaghan seems like the easy choice, you know, given the performance we've seen the last two seasons, but that's also makes it tougher to move him. Well, and he also has a, a modified no trade clause that just kicked in. So, but there, there's also another part of me that's like, okay, look, we know he's battling injuries all last season. What What is a healthy full season of Sean Monahan if he's capable of of doing it even 60 games of healthy Monahan I'm 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 convinced with what I've seen I mean you're throwing out how old is he still a young guy he's still yeah it's kind of shocking that he's still only 26 he's turning 27 in November I think so there's a big part of me that still believes I mean look when you're a pure goal scorer you're a pure goal scorer so as long as your feet can keep up and I don't know if you track this back, a lot of it goes to the inception point of his, his big drop off has been Jeff Ward trying to make him into a defensive centerman. No, why not? <laughs> I mean, look, you, you see the way that this team has been, has been what Brad's added to this team. This is a Sutter team now. So I don't know if that changes much. If you're Sean Monahan with, Asked, being asked to, to play defense first. But 
man, I'm just I'm just thinking if you can get 60, 65 games of a healthy Sean Monahan, and he's not playing, he's not centering Brett Ritchie. He's actually playing with top six caliber players. I'm very curious to see if we can see a bounce back season. But the other side of that is like, we may never know because we, they never tell us when he's playing through an injury for a full season. Oh yeah. Sean actually was playing with one arm and one leg last season. We actually had his arms and legs fitted with prosthetics. You just didn't notice. So uh, yeah, he played through that. He had his arms severed in a, in a check. We just never divulged that. Fuck. So true. The thing is that I'm kind of like circling back to with Monahan because, and we'll get to the the molding this into a Sutter team thing in a minute, but at the end of the day, somebody needs to score goals on this team. I mean, that's the thing. And he is your best goal scorer. Like, still, I still believe he's your best goal scorer on this team. If, if he can even get to 80% of what his career average has been, when he played, when he's playing healthy, then he still probably scores more, more goals than Lindholm. He's playing top six minutes, power play time. Because but fuck, man, this guy needs to have a bounce back season for this team to have success next year. Yeah. Like I've watched Sutter hockey a lot in my lifetime. And like one game that has always stood out to me um, as probably one of like most frustrating, infuriating games ever is 2006 game seven against Anaheim. The flames lose that game three, nothing. And like, they had played Sutter hockey all year that year. They had played, they, they played it to winning the Northwest division. It's their only division title in a really long time. One of the best teams in the West built for the playoffs, but they were like a low scoring team. And in that game seven, when they needed a goal, nobody could score a goal. Like you had Jerome McGinley and that was it. And to me that I, that always has stuck with me is like at the end of the day, like these guys can talk about how you need guys to, you know, be big boys in the playoffs and play hard hockey. You always need goals. Goals always make the difference at the end of the day. And I always remember that game seven being like, holy shit. We just needed one guy on that team who was a, who was a pure goal scorer who, who could have put the puck in the back of the net, like outside Jerome McGinley, who was the only player on that team who was particularly offensive. Um, so but- you saw, you saw how easy it was to shut down the others. If you hone in on, two of the best offensive players in the league. How easy would it have been to hone in on Jerome McGinley? Back in the day. So I just, you still need to score goals, man. You still need to score goals. You can be the most dominant four checking team in the league. You can absolutely only ice five on five in terms of possession. You can keep other teams from scoring on you as much as you want. Somebody on your team needs to score goals and, Listen, I know Johnny Gaudreau scores a lot, but taking away an, a pure offensive player from this Calgary Flames team who is like, like you just saw a star for goals could create some issues. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because I, I, I get what you're saying with the trade. If you're looking at the books. Like a trade needs to happen. If you, well, I'm not even saying up. it's Monahan. It's just it has has to be something's got to give here eventually. I mean, look, the the obvious slam dunk if it was doable and it actually did free up money for you would be moving Lucic, but it you, that might not be an option, right? They might want money, the same amount of money going back, or you do you send him to a team like Arizona, yeah, with, with a pick. Like that's kind of where you're going to have to be at, unfortunately. 
Now, I've been on this side of the fence of like, yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. There's also a part of me that if this team is still, we're going for it mode, which they are, and we've, it's obvious with the decisions that they've made in the past 24 months, they're still trying to have success now. There's also been a part of me that says, don't make any changes up front, except for one, just add a top six player. Now, I was of that stance before losing Geo. So things change a bit, but there's still a part of me that doesn't want to see Monahan get moved out because I think he can have a bounce back season. Now, you were posting. Your tr- he, Monahan's a bit of an anomaly. For his age bracket, players of that caliber don't typically just fall off the face of the earth this soon. So I think there's a lot of emphasis on the injury and the ward situation because the whole team sucked that first year under, under Jeff Ward, you know, they started to pull it together near the end of the season, but I don't know, man, the, the adjustments that, that the coaching staff made year two under periods with Jeff Ward in last season has really, you know, it, it sunk this team into a bit of a hole, which Sutter seems to be getting them out of, I think I'm in the same boat. It's just like, you know, you, you can't afford that, even that risk to lose that guy that can score that many goals potentially in Sean Monaghan. Well, and I think the other thing too, that maybe I think I'll even throw myself in this conversation is that we might be underestimating Michael Backlund's utility heading into like his age bracket, right? Like, like he's still an effective player, but like eventually he's going to, he's probably not his, his effectiveness is going to start wearing thin. So I think you're right. Like if Monaghan doesn't rebound and they're either going to gamble on this or they're going to trade him and assume that he's not going to rebound and try to just play the most defensive oriented hockey known to man. If Monaghan doesn't rebound, that top six is still a bit of a mess. So a lot, I still think a lot is riding on Sean Monaghan to bounce back offensively. Daryl seems to like him. Yeah. Which I like. I like the fact that he likes him. And Where I like you... Monahan. I, I I I know we get criticized for being the guys who won't shut up about Monahan and Gaudreau, but I mean, like I said, like it's just weird to me that he won't ever bounce back. Like his best season in the NHL is going to be age twenty four, and then he's going to suck for all of eternity. Like maybe, maybe he's just been injured so bad that it's just he's never going to hit reach that point again. Um, but like it's just it's weird to see such a drop off. You know, and like he's never going to return to that. It's just, I, I've said this millions of times on here, but it's just like, I can't believe you go from being like a, such a strong offensive player for three to four years in the league to just like absolutely terrible in like one year and then never return to that in the least. It's just odd to me. We'll get to some top six projections, but while we're on the Monahan conversation, do you have him currently slotted at 2C or 3C? Well, that I think that kind of depends on utilization. Like I've been saying vocally, I would love to see like a, a new and improved three M line with Coleman, Backlund and Manchapani. Like if Backlund is even still remotely that guy, which he has been for the past six, seven years, a guy who can drive play and play against other teams, top lines, that line is going to be the three M line reborn like that, like Coleman and Manchapani together on a line with, a with a centerman like Backlund who is defensively responsible. Like, 
dude, they would own the ice five on five. So when I initially look at fit for Coleman, I think that's where he would slot in perfectly. But then what do you do with that third line? Right, because you can't have you. You know how Monahan plays. He can't yeah. be playing with two plugs. And like if you work. if you really wanted to go high level on this, and but Monahan and Dubé had a little bit of connection, did they not? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because you know Dubé and Monahan, I think play kind of a similar, not a similar style of game, but they're both offensively minded players. Which like, I'm gonna, curious, which you're going to need in your bottom six because. Those other guys you acquired the last couple of weeks are not going to give you any offense. Like, honestly, if you're asking me today what I think the most effective three lines for the Calgary Flames with the guys that are currently on the team, I personally would go back to... People are going to crush me for this. I would go back to Monahan, Goudreau, Lindholm. I don't think Lindholm does much for you at center that he doesn't do on the wing, and he's a right-hand shot. It's just, what else do you do with Monahan? Because we know one thing. Backlund and Kachuk are better together reuniting the 3m line to me is a slam dunk whether it's coleman or mangiapani and then you have two lines who can go toe-to-toe with other teams top lines then you have a third line of whoever you want to put between a combination of coleman and dubé or mangiapani and dubé or something like that then i don't i don't think they're gonna do that because i don't think they're gonna do that either but because when you, especially losing Derek Ryan, I think they, they plan. I, th- I think Lindholm's a center for sure. Yeah. Um, but just the issue with Monahan is if he's not playing with Gaudreau, it's just hard. It, it would be hard for me to stick him with Coleman and Manjibani because those are two guys you have on your team for pretty much the sole purpose of being able to own the ice five and five and being able to play against top, you're, you're going top line against Manjipani. Whatever line Manjipani and Coleman are on, they're going up against the top competition on five on five. That's that's your that's your play driving. That's your Mark Stone, Patrice Bergeron type toe-to-toe line. That's the 3M line for all intents and purposes. That's Backlund for Elite Kachuk when they were shutting Nathan McKinnon down in 2018-2019. Yeah. So to well, throw Monaghan in there, again, no matter how much they want him to be, sucks at defense. That just kind of like, is like it's a crack in the foundation of a line that's supposed to be used for a specific purpose. I don't understand why Monahan can't play the wing. Yeah, I don't get that either. Like, but what's the difference? I, I agree with the 3M concept. And to add to that, I will also say that that top line that we ended the season with. Yeah, they were great. With, with Johnny, Money, and Chucky, that adding. Goudreau to the top line actually makes it a number one line in the league because up until that point with whoever was slotting up there for the most part, it was Dubé. We went through the numbers to end the season. That was one of the reasons why this team did not make the playoffs. Yeah. Because they're getting killed. Them as a line, Lindholm, Kachuk and Dubé could not play top caliber minutes against other teams, best lines and win those battles on a nightly basis. But once Goudreau goes to that line, it's a different story. Yeah. So I still think you keep that top line the same, which they probably will roll with to end the season. They had so much success. How could you not at least start there? But I also agree with you. I would, I would put, I would start probably backland with a th- new version of the three M line with Monty and Coleman on the wings. And then well, Sean Monaghan, see if he can get some, some shit going with Dubé. Maybe Pitlick plays there. Is Pitlick more of a fourth line guy for you? 
I think they're slotting him in as a third line guy, and he can probably handle it. Like, like, could you imagine if they just signed leave, re-signed Levo? Yeah, that'd be perfect. There would be a good third line: Monahan centering Levo and Dubé. Right, and this has been this has been a concept we've thrown around a lot. I know Kent Wilson has thrown this around a lot. It's like if you could ever follow the model, because it's it's always like slotting, right, has always been the issue with this team. So if you could ever figure out something like they did with Pittsburgh back in the day when Kessel was playing with uh, Nick Benino and Carl Hagelin, they had this third line that was just kind of like this weird line who could score a lot of goals. If you could ever get a line like that that could get some easier matchups, you could play them, just kind of spot play them in some offensive zone starts. You don't have to shelter them heavily, but just shelter them enough and have like a third line that's kind of like a stealth scoring line, which was like be like Monahan Dubé player X. I think that would be that would be a tactical advantage, especially if you have now a legitimate, absolute dominant shutdown unit, a two-way play driving unit in Coleman, Backland, and Mangipani. That gives you dual threats in terms of your offense and a killer shutdown line like that's something not a lot of teams have other than Tampa who has like all three of those on every one of their lines. Yeah. And then maybe if you see some success with that, you can add to that late in the season. Sure. Like, you know, who would be a great pickup for like a guy like Thomas Tatar? Fuck. Could you just add him already? Tatar, Dubé and Monahan would be a dynamite line. There you go. Three guys, three guys that can score. And people kind of get like, Look at Tampa, right? They don't really have three lines. Like they have the number one big unit, which is like whatever line Kucherov and Pointer on. But they kind of have their top nine. That's how the Flames need to start approaching it. I know that's kind of what they knew with last year. They just didn't have the personnel to make it happen. And like you said, you're having to put Dubé in spots where he's not going to be effective. You you can't just go in this pair. You have to have trios who are good together and can win their battles when they're on the ice five on five. So. If you look at this as a top nine league, because again, where's Coleman coming from? Coleman's coming from a team where his line, that third line, if he, Gord, and Barkley Goudreau were unbelievable. And I don't think anybody would look at that team and go, wow, Coleman's on the third line. They're no, just like, that's an incredible top nine group of forwards. That's kind of what the Flames need to start getting towards. So if you see Monaghan slotted in on the third line, I wouldn't necessarily call it a third line. Yeah, but I agree, man, with you. If you want to maximize what Coleman can give you, I think he might be able, he can give you a lot more if he's playing with Backlund and Mangiapane. Oh, than- totally. Like, dude, like that's that's three M line, except like so much better. He's Kachuk, except he can skate way faster. <laughs> right? Like, like do you remember how good the the Froleek Kachuk? Backland line was when they were rolling in 2018, 2019, and how good the Manjipani Kachuk Backland line was. Like, you got to utilize, I think you play up Blake Coleman strike to the extreme. You have yeah. him and Manj on a line together. That is, that is, we've used this term a lot, buzzsaw line. That is the buzzsaw line to end all buzzsaw lines. And, and Backland is a bit of a buzzsaw himself. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, maybe to make a case for Backland. I still see him as a really valuable player on this team. And I, and part of that is because I think that's how uh, Daryl Sutter sees him. Yeah, totally. Like I I 100% agree. Like I said, like maybe we're kind of underestimating the degree to which Backlund like might start declining. 
but he's just such a useful guy. He can carry the puck. He like, he's been going up against he's super underrated around the league. Like this dude can play in all situations has played in all situations. Maybe he doesn't score as much as you'd like, but shit, man, he's still a valuable part of what this team's trying to do, especially under Daryl Sutter. Like you're saying. And the point I wanted to make on that is, you know, the, you could look at the past two, three seasons when his play has declined is when he's been bumped on the lineup and, you know, playing with pretty questionable Blue wingers. Cheese. Exactly. So if he's, if he's reunited with like what Manji and Pawnee and Blake Coleman, I mean, obviously uh, since Kachuk leaving aside, that's going to be the best two wingers he's seen. Dude, it's going to be wild. Like, like I think I see, and do you remember how well Backlund and Froelich paired for a long time? Like, Froelich was an underrated player here for a few years. Like, Coleman to me is a, is a like a leveled up version of Michael Froelich. He's faster. He's better. He's far more effective on the forecheck and he's got way more offensive upside. So I think Backlund, Coleman, Manchapani is just like, <laughs> Oh man, that's way too good. That's that's way too perfect of a Daryl Sutter line to not yeah. to not be united. Yeah, and then if if and we'll get to this too because on an earlier podcast, I think it was the last one, I was saying that I hope whatever happens, Daryl Sutter is a part of the the decision making process, and I think it's pretty obvious that that has been the case. Well, listen, I I, I mean, I made a few cracks about the. Nikita Zadorov acquisition and obviously the Trevor Lewis, like I was like being cheeky and being a dick online about it. But like, are we surprised in the least that the flame Daryl Sutter flames are like making Daryl Sutter flames acquisitions? No, we're not. And at I don't even care. I know. Mean- and that's what I'm saying at the least, like, at the very least, at least they are committing to a style of play exactly. and bringing in the personnel to execute that style of play instead of being fucking Jeff Ward and going, yeah, we're going to be a defense first team. And uh, yeah, Johnny and Monty, you guys are going to play against the top quality competition ever night. Okay. It's like a, I, they defense, got, they... <laughs> a defense first team led by Johnny and Monty. That yeah. was Jeff, Jeff Ward's solution. <laughs> so like, I mean, we can we can poke holes in this Sutter game plan. We can poke holes in in Daryl Sutter's philosophy. Um, we can say it's going to be really boring to watch. We can we can question its effectiveness, but at the very least, there is a game plan that is starting to be executed and has started to unfold. And they are actually acquiring players who can execute a game plan uh, that Daryl wants to execute. So, in that sense, I'm actually. I'm actually intrigued and looking forward to it because like, like we said a million times, right? Sutter could be the X factor because I look at this team and my initial reaction is like, does Blake Coleman improve this team in any meaningful way? That's like not marginal. Like are the Calgary flames any closer to the Vegas golden Knights with the addition of Blake Coleman? I mean, probably not like do the Tampa Bay lightning win the cup without Blake Coleman. Probably like is Blake Coleman, what this team needs to get to the next level. Not really, if you look at it on an individual basis. But then, like, Daryl Sutter is what they and we are counting on to be the Barry Trotz factor in all of this. Like, 18-19 was one thing, right? You see Bill Peters, right out of the gate, this team had success throughout the entire regular season. And then, look, we've, we've talked about it a shit ton on this podcast of how the organization 
ran away from success in the complete opposite direction, convinced that scoring goals was not going to get them anywhere in the playoffs. Maybe it's true. Obviously, like you just mentioned, there was a big issue for us with how they went about changing that style. Now they're actually, they're actually doing it for real. So that's why I said, I don't even care. At least like you said, they actually have a vision for once and the roster is now all the roster selections you saw two days ago are all to support that vision. And we know what we know that the guy at the helm and Daryl Sutter can execute on that, on that vision. So like you said, he's the X factor. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. I look at these additions, you know, Pitlick, Trevor Lewis, um, Zadorov, Coleman. We're going to be, I think f- for once, we're going to be tough to play against because goal scoring on this team probably isn't going to come that easy. We'll see how big of an impact the decor can have. They obviously need to be better than they were last season. That could be the one, you know, biggest weakness still going into next season after losing Mark Giordano. But like you've mentioned, the style of play is a team, the Barry Trotz factor. Who are the big marquee D men on the Newark Islanders? Ryan Pollock. So there you fucking go. I'm really curious. And I, I, for once, I actually feel like, okay, we're actually going to be tough to play against because, and what I mean by that is we're going to be probably frustrating to play against because when you can't score goals, when you can't generate offense, that is frustrating as hell. It's probably so, going to be know. frustrating on both sides of the coin where we are going to yeah. frustrate a lot of teams. Again, like I said, go back and watch the 2005-2006 season. That's what it was like. A lot of nights, the Flames would just shut it down and win a lot of games. They won a lot of games that way. But then a lot of other nights, the Flames just did not have the horses or the offense to compete with the, with the, the more offensively-minded teams in the league. So it's probably going to be a, a bit of a frustration both ways. Yeah, which again emphasizes why you might just want to hang on to Mon- Monahan for at least one more season. Right. Like, or at least that's always been my thing is like, or at least get a trade him and get somebody else who can score goals. But it's very clear that the bottom six is there only to defend. Like, you look at the guys they picked up. Like, I, don't, I don't want to throw Coleman in the bottom six. Everybody they have picked up has, like, other than Brett Ritchie has like ridiculous defense, like purely defensive impacts. You look at their stats, like they don't give you any offense. Tyler Pillick isn't going to give you anything, but he is really good defending. Same with Trevor Lewis, same with Nikita Zadorov. Seems to be the game plan is like they are going to shut it down. I'm really curious to see how it shapes up, honestly. Um, and who knows, maybe that that's where it even just makes more sense to have Monahan as a third line center because those top that the role of the top six, I mean, the top line is gonna have to be responsible defensively, but you got two responsible guys, and even even Goudreau gets a bad rap for not being a defensively. He's 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 okay defensively. He's totally fine. Totally fine. So if he's playing with Lindholm, who's obviously better at defense than Sean Monahan is, and Matthew Kachuk, pretty decent two-way player. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Finally, I have some faith in our head coach 
to execute matchups, right? But it'll be interesting that top six is going to be executing most of the role. I know Sutter likes to roll four lines a lot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he deploys the bottom six and what that third line looks like and who the centerman will be, as well as how much he utilizes the fourth line and what they can bring to the table. My glaring concern in all of this, I know Coleman's really speedy, but like my glaring concern is that the Flames really did get a lot slower. Yeah. Like you already are a slow team. Like you have guys like Kachuk, Monahan, Lucic. None of these guys move particularly well. Like Lindholm's fine, but he's not like going to beat you with his speed. So you throw in like, I the thing that actually worries me most about this team is that back end still. I know I was voicing concerns yep. about it. Now they've lost Geo. Like, man, I I have to think that another move is coming on the back end. Like, geez, like that is not. It, it's funny to look at how how hard the Flames heel turned from a elite mobile puck moving D who generate tons of offense. Like <laughs> you look at their top four, like three years ago, uh, Gio and Hamilton, two of the best offensive defensemen in the league. Brody, one of the best puck movers, Travis Hamannick had a really, was had really good offensive rates back then to like pure defense in Tanev Zadorov. Rasmus Anderson isn't super fast. I don't know if you noticed he's uh he wasn't the greatest puck mover and Noah Hannafin, like if there's a lot hinging on Noah Hannafin uh, becoming what this team seems to think he can become. We'll see. Take us back. Let's get into the players. Um, I mean, you've touched on Coleman, break it down. Tell us who we got. What are we getting with Coleman? Well, again, there, like- are, there are some people that are like, wait, Coleman, why did we get Coleman? Or is he actually good? Well, the thing with Coleman is like, again, I think most people think, oh, he's just playing, playing on a, can he play up higher up the roster? Which I think absolutely he can. Like he, to me, he is Manji. If he's what Manjipani is going to be, probably Manjipani is better already, to be perfectly honest. He is a great impact player offensively. Like he scores, he scores a lot of goals at even strength. He's one of the best even strength players in the league. As far as I'm concerned, has great two way results. He's super fast. He's a monster four checker. He's going to do a lot of really good things in the offensive zone and in the defensive zone. Um, what's really interesting because I know some like the people you're saying are like, oh, but is like, has he ever even hit the 20 goal plateau? Like, I think he did back in Jersey, right? Yeah. Well, he was playing top six. He was executing a top six role in Jersey pretty much. Yeah. Like I remember the trade deadline that the lightning acquired him. Remember we were kind of in on it a little bit. I remember there being some rumblings. Yeah. Remember? And well, it was we're like, in on everybody. Sh- so yeah, it was like, Holy shit. The, the lightning gave up a first round pick for Blake Coleman. That's a steep price to pay. Ooh. And then he was like awesome for two years. Um, so he had what's, what's weird to me. And I think maybe an actual good point by Brad Chilevy and his staff is even though he's turning 30, I think in October, he's only played like two full seasons in the NHL. He broke into the league in 2016, 2017. He played 23 games, 17, 18, 79 games, 18, 19, 78 games. And then obviously the shortened season last year and the year prior to that. So this isn't a guy like James Neal coming into your team with like significant mileage, like, 10 plus years and a bunch of playoff runs. Like obviously he's coming off two Stanley cup 
runs, but again, in shortened seasons. So it's not like he's been playing for 10 years and is probably cooked. So that works in his favor in terms of his aging curve, probably just because his body has been through less. But he did score 20 goals in his second season in New Jersey, and he scored 21 in 57 games in New Jersey in his third season. But what is playing on a stacked Tampa Bay Lightning team, if you look at his rate statistics, which you will want to do if you want to get an idea of what players are doing with the time that's given to them, yeah, he's pretty good. He was behind only in the last two years with Tampa, behind only Alex Kalorn, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, and Steven Stamkos in goals per 60 minutes. Behind only Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Palat, Kalorn, and Yanni Gord in points per 60 minutes. So I think it's fair to say this guy, given the minutes he's going to be given in Calgary, is going to put up his boxcar stats are going to be a lot higher because his race statistics have been pretty damn good we've been going on and on and on about could you just yeah go out and get a top six player my question to you is blake coleman a legit a legitimate top six player he's a legitimate top six player having said that though it does feel like the thing to me is like he's a top six player but you know, he kind of feels like a door. You're adding a really, really nice door to a foundation, a house that has a faulty foundation type thing, you know? Yep. It's kind of what it feels like. Putting it's lipstick like, on a pig. If, yeah. If Blake Cole, if the Colorado Avalanche had picked up Blake Coleman. Yeah. 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 Like it's you'd be like, holy shit. The well, ads are going to cruise, right? It's it's like the analogy I threw out there earlier comparing the Avalanche and the, and the Hurricanes to the Canucks yeah. and the Flames. This is the way the teams were built. Right. It comes down to how the team's constructed. I think Blake Coleman is one of the best forwards on this team. I think he's going to be really good for the first two years, at least of this deal. But just this Blake Coleman doesn't take us over the top, but he would take the avalanche over the top. 100%. He makes us better. We are a better team today. The forward rank is better, which what you and I have been bitching about for the last 25 years, it seems. So yes, but (laughs) Again, it's it's not like we're in a position where it's like, hey, we got Blake Coleman. Now we can really get down to business. It's like, man, there's still a lot of roster holes on this team. Like, let's say Sean Monahan wasn't terrible right now, and you had a Blake Coleman. I feel like, yes, hell's yes, slam dunk. Let's put it this way: Who makes more money, Blake Coleman or Milan Lucic? Yeah, exactly. So, what does Lucic make? He he makes five point two five against the cap. Five point two five. Blake yeah. Coleman is a four point nine. 4.9 fiber. So, I mean, I, again, I probably. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Lucci. Always bring it back to perspective. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Appreciate it. And That's- again, I just want to say this again, because the James Neal gets bought out and all flames nation has to rub it in the other's face. And, and I, I agree. It's we have to, but. We can't lose sight of like, oh, we won the trade. Laddie, yeah, we got Lucic. Yeah. When Brad Trilling is the guy that signed James Neal to the massive contract. So again, it'll like And we're still paying interest on that with the 5.25 Lucic is eating up, right? Like there's no winners in this. Like just remember when we're rubbing in their faces that that was Brad Trilling signing. That sucks worse than Lucic. Yeah. <laughs> So listen, like, again, I really like Blake Coleman. 
the the but that he like he, the things that make him really good are his speed and his like tenacity and his his physical nature. Those are things that usually like kind of start to go with age. Like I said, he doesn't have as many miles on him as the typical UFA, but he's still turning 30 this year. So, I mean, you, you can't not be concerned about it. You just can't, especially with, like we've been saying, the Flames fiscal situation and the three huge contracts that you have to sign next season. You can't not voice that concern. Yeah, you're looking three years into this contract and, you're, and you got... Well, not concerns. even three years, like two years. Next year, it's not even the player, it's the money. And the contract itself is back backloaded, is it not? A little bit. Like he gets what is he making base this year? Two point nine. So if you want a full breakdown, he makes two point nine this year with a million dollar signing bonus. So the AAV is four point nine um, for the next six years. Um, but this year he makes two point nine in salary, a million dollar in signing, four point nine, five point nine, four point nine, four point nine, four point nine. So in in that sense, it's actually okay because it is buyoutable. If it was heavily bonus structured, like Lucic's contract is slash was, that makes it almost impossible to buy a guy out. That's why the Flames will not buy out Lucic. Um, so in that sense, it's okay. It does carry a full no trade clause in the first three years and then a limited no trade clause in the last three years. So he does control his destiny a little bit as well. Okay. Looking from the the holistic perspective, taking into everything into account, rate this signing out of ten. This is like a six point eight to seven point five in that range. Okay, which for Bradtree Living is pretty good. And honestly, like I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't get more money. Well, like, if you're com- if four- you're comparing him to the other UFAs that are comparables, the other guys got a lot more. Yeah, like. I feel the same way about Blake Coleman as I do about Zach Hyman and Zach Hyman got another year and 600 K more per year. So in that sense, it is, it's manageable. I can take a breath. Like I was really worried they were going to balls to the wall and give him like six by six or six by seven or something. Um, Cause this was leaked a couple days before. Um, and I know everybody <laughs> in the world, I think, who's a Flames fan was like, holy shit, what are we going to pay Blake Coleman? This is going to be a disaster. And like the 4.9 was actually like, it was less than I was expecting, to be honest. Well, and less compared to. Especially considering like all you hear about the guy, oh, he's won two Stanley Cups. He knows what it takes to win. He's been in the battles, you know, like. GMs pay a premium for that, so I'm actually surprised he he didn't get more. Well, I was going to say, did anybody tell Kenny Holland that Zyman has a one shit? Because <laughs> he, he sure brought out his paycheck, right? His pocketbook for that. Yeah, Ken, you're not paying for those that 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 winning mentality, bro. What's the deal, man? Let's throw this in there real quick. Um, where do you think things are at with extension talk with Johnny Gaudreau? Well. Uh... Brad was quite curt when asked about it. He said nothing to report or something to that effect. I, I imagine they're hashing it out. One thing about tree living is he, everything is pretty secret. He keeps that shit next to his Boston pizza gold card right up against his heart. Um, I honestly think it's going to get done. 
sooner rather than later. Let us hope. Okay, let's move on to the next, uh, the next, I guess the next biggest sign, well, it was more of a trade, but the next biggest acquiring was probably Zadorov, right? Yeah, and honestly, like, <laughs> this was the first bit of news that came out in the morning. And I just was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, because you get that before before the Coleman, right? You get all these signings happening. It's like Calgary and Chicago are discussing the Zadorov train. I'm like, no. Like, this is playing out exactly how I thought it would. First priority of the day, get a defenseman who sucks. Well, he's good at, he's good at defense. So, break- well, And you know what? I was actually surprised. Like, the only reason I remember Zadorov is from when Lucic punched his lights out. Like, well, yeah, it was it was it was game one the following season after the it was the rematch right after Colorado beat us in the playoffs we played Colorado the first game of the season in Colorado, and I did, he took a run at who was it Mangiapane? It was Mangiapane or somebody Ryan, the, one of the smallest one guys, of the smaller guys, yeah. And so Lucic comes in there and he's like, "Fuck, we're going, bud." And Zadorov just kind of like looks at the ref. He's like, "You gonna help me?" <laughs> did he punch him with his? Did he punch him with his glove on? Or was yeah, it, he punched him with his glove on. It was like a three punch, just like smash, smash, smash. So as as for as big as this guy is, I mean, he might be a bit of a pussy at the same time. He's that's kind of a, he, that's how he came across the Flames fans. I remember. Yeah, we were furious he wouldn't drop the gloves. I re, I remember that he's he's a troublemaker. Is what he is. Yeah. Listen, like I was actually pretty surprised when I took a look at the numbers and saw that he was actually a pretty good defender. The only thing is, is like, that's all he's good at. That's it. Hey, but like we've said enough times, if you're playing, what's he going to get? Second pairing minutes? Most likely, right? Well, you got to think he's playing with Rastus Anderson. If you don't hear your name and you're a defenseman, you're doing your job. And as long as, when the other team scores and you look and see who the fuck fucked it up and he's not laying on his face or sitting on his ass like Rasmus Anderson and Mark Giordano were for the first half of the season, every single goal, I'll be okay with it. And listen, like to me, like I, I see what they're trying to do on the back end, right? Well, you see what they're trying to do, period. <laughs> like they're trying to be just like a force down low. Like the guy is six six and good this at suppressing team- chances. It's like... Now this you team, have you you have like two pure you have two guys who are purely there for who have like literally no impact on offense in Zadorov and Tanev now. Like the goal is to like nothing comes near the net. Like I was saying, this team is is gonna be hard to score against. I mean, you saw it to round out the season, the defensive metrics as a whole, the team was putting up. And then you add these other players into the mix in an already defensive style um, Daryl Sutter system. It could be boring. It could be frustrating to watch. But like you said, it's going to be frustrating for the opposing team as well. My only worry about this, like... And then you got Markstrom at the back end too. So Yeah, who needs to be bounce back? But I mean, the concern being, sure, it's going to be hard to score on them unless you're a really quick team who can score, generate chances off the rush, like, say, the Edmonton Oilers. Like, I shudder. I shudder, my friend, to think about Connor McDavid hopping over the boards and let's say Lucic is on the ice, um, uh, Kachuk's on the ice, and or, or Lucic, Brett Ritchie, and uh, 
Sean Monahan are on the ice with Zdorov and Rasmus Anderson. Like that scares the living piss out of me because that might be the slowest group of five guys you could throw over the boards against the best player and the fastest player in the world. So I think teams who can score off the, who can attack with speed um, might be able to find some success against the flames. Um, I mean, listen, like Zdorov is something they, they've coveted for a while it seems in a big huge physical and when i say physical this dude takes so many penalties he has one of the worst penalty differentials um it takes a lot of penalties so i guess they're looking for a big guy i think what's going to be the x factor in this is what uh what does the contract end up being his qualifying offer comes in at 3.2 million dollars Apparently that doesn't necessarily, the flames need to pay him that they can negotiate something else, but I got to think it's got to be in the like Jake McCabe type range, like four, three and a half to 4 million. I, if it's anything over 4 million, I'm going to have a hard time uh, getting behind this. Where do you see Val Mackey slotting? Let's say to start the season and to end the season. On Buffalo's second pairing. <laughs> All right. Well, you open the door. Let's go there. I mean, well, we can go there in a bit, but no, we're going there now. All right. Because Calgary may or may not be done. And for a number of reasons, for the reason that we already mentioned, where if you're not keeping Monahan, you're likely moving him out because you kind of need more cap space to do what you need to do to you know, address the rest of the needs on the team. And for another reason, it's like, have you really like, look, this is it. You got two seasons. I'm pretty sure that that's where everyone in the organization is probably looking at. This is a tipping point. You'd either, you either do something now or it's like time's pretty much over here. So, and if you're looking at all the moves that they've made, you're kind of one move away, one trade away from requiring a guy like Jack Eichel to finally take you over the top. So add all that with the concept of there's a guy of, of Jack Eichel caliber that's available. And there's apparently a small handful of teams that have been in on Jack Eichel since Jack Eichel was available and every what bi-weekly teams kind of fall off that radar. They drop off. And I know there's been a couple more teams that based on their, all their free agency moves during the frenzy, they've kind of backed themselves out of it as well. It would appear that way. Calgary still, it seems like is being reported even though the, the Jack Heichel talks have gone completely silent, the last we heard that Calgary was still beating around the bush. I mean, it could mean one of two things. Brad Trulig's in on everything, so he's going to be on it regardless. Or maybe there's a potential deal to be made. There was some leaked information on what the asking price was from Vegas. I'll let you get into that because you can draw the comparable of what the Flames asking price similarly might look like. I'll let you take it away. Where do you think this is still in the realm of possibility? Like, I don't want to go down this path too much. I don't want to get too excited because like, again, 
We've seen Brad Schliving make mistake after mistake in UFA. We've seen Brad Schliving do this to us how many times? Looks like the Flames are getting Mark Stone, and then it's like, nope. Looks like the Flames are getting player X. Nope. Second, finish second. So I'm like, I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to get into this headspace even while also just trying to like think of what it would realistically look like. And I know you and I have been on the same page with this. Like, even if the Flames wanted them, like, how could they ever make it happen? Given on what this, it seems the other teams who want them have in, in, in terms of prospects and draft capital. So that has always been my, my take on it is like, well, the Flames can't even get in their, their foot in the door with what we have here. Although then, you, you have another draft on your belt, which with another uh, another good first round pick, there's one more asset now at your utilization. For sure. But then you you look at apparently what some of the asking prices is, like whether or not they're accurate or not. But the fact that like teams have been in and out and the asking price has seemed to kind of come down to a uh, an atmospheric level is supposed to be astronomical. Like it's kind of like, this has kind of changed my mind on the whole situation. It was like, if there's even a hesitation from a team like Minnesota or a team like the Rangers or LA is out and Anaheim's out, if there's a hesitation, this opens up a window of opportunity for Brad living to finally do what he's always needed to do and get this guy. So like the ass that was leaked from Vegas, I don't know if it was accurate or not, but it was what like Nick Hague, um, a first round pick, Riley Smith, and something else, another strong prospect. I'm totally blanking on who it was. Good prospect. But I mean, the equivalent is like Monahan or Lindholm and a first round pick and Valamaki and Zari. It's kind of the equivalent. The flame the flames could, should absolutely do that. Even if you have to add, like honestly, at this point, if it's down to like the flames and another team and the other team is backing off. Like if it's a realistic possibility, there's nothing on this team that I wouldn't part with to get Jack Eichel. It's set for 13 and 19 in my, in my opinion. Yeah. But it sounds like they wouldn't be part. They wouldn't be part of the ass. They wouldn't be part well, of the transaction. And I, know, and I know you threw this out there. Imagine the all American line. With Jack Eichel centering Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. Like you said, I don't want to get too excited about it, but fuck, that excites me just even thinking about that. Right? Like you had you, your top six, if your top six is now, and like let's say for the sake of argument, Monaghan is part of that trade or you move him elsewhere to make the money work. If your top six is now Eichel, Gaudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm, Mangiapane, Coleman, Fuck. Like that is a contending team in the NHL. That is what the big that's what the big boys are doing. That's a team that can go toe-to-toe with the Avs. That's a team that can go toe-to-toe with the Vegas Golden Knights. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, when I heard because my suspicion has always been Vegas is gonna figure out a way to do this because they're fucking psycho over there. They'll do they'll do some weird witchcraft to get rid of Marc Andre Fleury's contract. Then they'll do some other weird witchcraft, like send Jonathan Marshall to the moon and dump Riley Smith. And then they'll have some weird seance ceremony to get like Buffalo to give them Michael for nothing. Like they're fucking wild out there. Like even if to prevent going at the moon as we speak, it's like, seriously, like Bill Foley is into some creepy shit probably. Um, But like, if even to prevent, it's an arms race. If Vegas is going out and going to add another superstar, 
Right. Another one. Just do it for that sake. I mean, if this is in the realm of possibility. Are you sick of losing every season series to Edmonton? Exactly. And this is where I'm at is like, I don't even care if you have to sell the farm because apparently they're not rebuilding. So what do we need all these assets for if you're not going to rebuild? And like, I realize I'm saying this after having just prefaced all of this with a 40 minute speech on fiscal responsibility and how careful the flames need to be with their money with the consideration of having to sign Manjapani, Gaudreau, and Kachuk next season. And you're probably wondering, well, how the hell do they do that with a $10 million commitment to Jack Eichel? And yeah, it's a good question. But for Jack Eichel, it's kind of a risk I'd be willing to run. That's something that you can maybe, you acquire the player, you acquire the contract, and you deal with the money side of things later. It's not something you, it, it would hopefully not be a, a major deterrent because I think the Flames kind of made this mistake, a twofold mistake with with not signing Mark Stone. They were really scared of the of the contract commitment that they had to had to give Mark Stone, which ultimately sounded like Stone wanted to go to Vegas. So I'll give him a break on that. But then I think they also kind of overvalued uh, their prospects in Yusuf Alamaki, where it's like, yes, he's good, but to get a guy like Stone, it'd be worth it. So I don't want to contradict myself and say I still wouldn't be concerned about the salary cap moving forward, but. This is Jack Eichel we're talking about. If you have a chance to get him, you you get him and you figure it out later. And honestly, it's it's time. It re- it really is time. Honestly, like you can you can keep doing this song and dance. You can I I love Blake Coleman. You can add guys like Blake Coleman every year. You're not going to be any closer to the ultimate goal of winning the cup or contending with Vegas and Colorado or Tampa Bay until you make a nuclear move. So. And everything they've done actually sets up well. I mean, they, they they have the capability to pull it off. The Flames, unlike other teams, unlike Vegas, like obviously the teams who have young assets like Anaheim and L.A. could pull it off. But the Flames seem to be in the Venn diagram of teams that are in the mix and have some cap, flexi- not flexibility, but could make it work if they had to. Because if you move Monaghan out and if you could somehow, like even if you move Monaghan out, you, it would be tight, but that could make it, you could make that work. Well, even just the addition of the coordination, I mean. Well, like if you wanted to get serious, like, then that's what I'm saying. Like, does any, does any, at this point where we're at with the franchise, even though we're saying like, yeah, Daryl Sutter, like the Daryl Sutter effect could probably get them into some playoff success. I think we can all agree, even with Daryl Sutter and the addition of Blake Coleman, this team is not winning the Stanley Cup next year. If you want to get into that conversation, this is the path. Um, so, it's, and it's not coronation; it's Coronado, but it's Coronado. Yeah, Coronado is is phenomenal prospect, by the way. Probably easily the Flames' best prospect. Um, yeah, yeah, because like I think easily, I think Zari maybe took the cake on Pelche. I think, yeah. Coronado takes the cake on both of them. Yeah. So if you wanted to get like legit, you'd be like, yo, we'll give you Lindholm. Well, the thing is Lindholm makes like a million and a half less than Monaghan. Monaghan, Coronado, Valimaki, Dubé, a first. We'll sell our soul. We will do whatever demonic ritual you'd like us to do. Just give us Jack Eichel, please. Like, What, I mean, movies, at, have at, you, what movies have you been watching? <laughs> at this it, point, what is the downside? Like, you know what? Like, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Like, at this point, even if Eichel turned out to be a bust, the, 
even if it was like a big virtue signal to the fans, even if it was just like a purely symbolic move and Eichel ended up being like not the right move and like all these assets they traded away turned into great players, like would you not, if, if the Flames acquired Jack Eichel tomorrow, would you not wake up just absolutely jumping for joy and just be so happy with this management group? Well, and the thing is, like we mentioned earlier on, you're at, they're at the end. Exactly. Like you, you really, you don't really have a lot to lose in terms of risk because you're on the brink of a rebuild anyhow. You're going to have to blow this thing up anyways. You may as well go down swing. I that's yeah. hundred percent. Like, and I mean, it would be, it would be different. Like it would be different if this organization was committing to a rebuild, but they're not. Like, they're not going to go full Detroit. They're not going to go full Arizona. They're not going to go full L.A. Like, it, maybe they'll prove me wrong in a couple of years, but they're, that's not the mandate. That's never been the mandate. Even when they tried to do it, they tried expediting it by trading all their first-round picks for, like, Dougie Hamilton and Travis Hammond in year, like, three and four of their rebuild. So it's never been something this organization is going to do. This chance to get a guy of Eichel's caliber – rarely comes around if you can do it you there you like there is no excuse to not do it if it's in the realm of possibility like you just can't not well and if you're brad tree living don't you want to fucking put your name on something big seven years in your tenure i guess the dougie hamilton was pretty big but look how that turned out it's like there's no excuse for him to be second anymore no and i think he learned his lesson with mark stone dude i honestly do he should have he should have traded Valimaki for Mark Stone. Because that was that was the piece. Yeah. That he, he could at the not right at the with. right time. Like you were talking about earlier, the pieces coming in at the right time. That would have been the piece at the exact moment we needed it. You're telling me we don't beat the Colorado Avalanche in, in round one if Mark Stone's on our team that year? Come on. Dude, Mark Stone just beat the Colorado Avalanche by himself, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, there like something has to happen. Something's gotta give here. Otherwise, we're just, we can do this Blake Coleman song and dance. We can add this guy. We can add that guy. But something's got to give here. And it sounds like some teams are starting to bow out. Like, if they get beat by the asking price, if it's just like, yeah, we'd rather have Marco Rossi in a first and something else from Minnesota, then sure. But, like, I swear, if like it, if it's like a Mark Stone deal where it's like, Vegas gets them for less than what you thought would be the market price. And it's like, well, why couldn't Brad do that? Like, that's going to be so frustrating and infuriating for a lot of fans who I think, I think we've been here for a long time, but I think a lot of the fan base is now like restless. Like it's time to do something here. It's time to piss or get off the pod, Bradley. Let's go. The, um, according to cat friendly right now in this, I'm not sure how accurate it is based on, you know, who's left to be signed, but there's a projected cap space currently is 12.17 mil. So, yeah, you got to sign all your RFAs. You got to sign to door off probably be the hefty will, will be the heftiest of those. Um, I think when it's all said and done, like you got to sign the new goalie Vladar, you got to sign Dubé, you got to sign uh, Valimaki. I mean, you're probably going to sign Shillington. You're signing Connor Mackey. So what does that leave you with? Like three and change? Something like that? 
So if you have that and then you can move out Monahan 6.3. Interesting. How about you, how about you just move Almost. out Monahan? How about you just move out Monahan and Lucic and get Eichel? Dude, the 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 absolute key, I don't want to say the key, but what this team needs more than anything is to somehow get out of Lucic's contract. And I know everybody loves him. I know he's a great guy. But, like, for the team, that would be – that's what this team needs. That's what this organization needs for the best. Like, seriously. It's the it's the one thing holding them back from so, from, from so much. From mediocrity, professional yeah. mediocrity. <laughs> seriously. It's killing them. All right. The other uh, the other forward, Trevor Lewis, give us a quick breakdown. Well, I mean, I we all called this. Like, who didn't see this coming? Right? Who's better, Pitlick or Lewis? Probably Pitlick, right? I think Pitlick because he's probably younger and faster. Pitlick can play can play third line minutes, probably. Yeah, yeah. I think Pitlick, like again, I think they're similar players in that they don't do anything other than play defensive hockey. Um, they're not going to score any much goals, but I mean, I think everybody saw this coming as soon as Daryl Sutter was announced. Like he was going to probably get one of his uh, old LA guys to come to come play with him. Trevor Lewis seems to be the guy. He's been playing in Winnipeg. Yeah, he is a he's he's a big defensive. He's a big guy who's good at defense. So let's hope that uh, the Habs tank, miss the playoffs, and Toffoli becomes available for the for the end of the season. Eh? I wish we had Toffoli still. Can you imagine? The thing I don't understand about the Lewis and Pitlick acquisitions is letting Derek Ryan walk. Like Derek, well, like. It's the toughness and the size. That's what it is. I, I guess. Like, it just bugs me that they're, like, focusing on all these guys who have such good defensive impacts when it's like Derek Ryan is so good at defense. Like, I guess that's what it is, is the physicality and maybe, like, the forechecking ability. But, shit, I think Der- I would take Derek Ryan over Tyler Pillick and Trevor Lewis all day much, long. Much more uh, offensive upside. Oh, dude. Yeah. Do you offensive think upside can play up and down the lineup. Like, geez, come on. Do you think the Oilers will try him with McDavid at some point? He can play. He's he's good enough. I don't think so. I think Hyman is like McDavid's guy, but fuck. I'm really pissed off. Derek Ryan went to the Oilers. Derek, how could you do this? Derek, did they build a new Mormon temple up there or what? I thought Calgary had the newest one. I thought they were building one. Maybe I was mistaken. So Derek, you- like Airdrie has a beautiful Mormon temple. <sighs> You want to touch on the the Oilers while we're on the on the topic? Yes. So they look. The Oilers got better offensively this season, off season, by adding Hyman. But fuck, do they get much much worse defensively than they got better offensively as a whole with the the guy what they lost on the back end and what they've added in the back end. Like honestly, like their their forward group actually looks well. Obviously, with McDavid and Drysdale, that forward group is going to be really, really good next year. Especially with Derek Ryan being added, and I actually really like Warren Fogle. But they traded Ethan Bear for him, which is kind of weird. Was he not the best defenseman left after like, Larson's gone? Like I'm not even kidding you. And again, I'm not trying to dunk on the Oilers. Like I don't know what the hell Ken Holland is doing, thinking that he like. 
he how is this team gonna play in their own zone when Darnell Nurse is your best defenseman? And don't get me wrong, he's good, but he's certain defense is certainly not his forte. Tyson Berry is terrible defensively. Duncan Keith is terrible. Cody Cece is terrible. And then like Chris Russell and Evan Bouchard, like that's legitimately the worst defense for in the league. And it's not even close. Like maybe the Canucks are worse. Backed by one of the worst goalie tenants in the league. But like, holy shit, dude, what are you thinking? Like, I genuinely don't know. Like, it's just, it's mind blowing incompetence. Like, honestly, like I think Chirelli, this is less, this is worse than anything Chirelli ever did. This is insane. And then again, your goaltending tandem is Smith and Koskinen. They're literally going all in on defense. That's it. So like, or sorry, all in an offense. They're just trying to outscore you. That's it. Which is like, okay, that's all fine and good. But like, how is McDavid supposed to score when they can't get the puck out of their own zone? I don't know. Can't wait to see. I mean, just geez. Derek Ryan is the best defensive player on that team. The Oilers uh, and the Avalanche were the final two teams at uh, acquiring Darcy Kemper and the Oilers lost out again in the goaltending category. Thank goodness, because who would you rather uh, try and score on all season? Mike Smith, whose five hole is about the size of the Grand Canyon, backed by Koskinen, which they're still trying to move him out. But there's no goalies left. I mean, they're going to have to be in their trade to make it happen. But Colorado gets takes Kemper away. Thank you, Colorado. Thank you. I, I just don't get it. Like, that four group is probably one of the best in the league. Like, obviously, just uh, um, inflated by McDavid. But, I mean, Yamamoto is good. And, obviously, Hyman is similar to Holman. It's like, he's going to be really good for them for a couple of years. The contract's terrible. But, like, there's no doubt he's a really good offensive player and can do a lot of things for McDavid that, like, that's the best winger Connor McDavid, McDavid's ever played with in his NHL career by a mile. So, that defense is really good, but holy shit. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get the puck out of their own zone half the night. All right. What about the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, let's touch on them. They were pretty busy as well. Like, <sighs> Let's start with the OEL slash Grand, Grandland trade. It, honestly, like you, you hear me often say how like tree living lacks substance in, in his press conferences. Like, but when you listen to Jim Benning talk, it's just like, is there even a person in there? Like he's talking about the OEL contract. So they, they trade uh, all of our, they trade for all of our Ekman Larson, Connor Garland for the ninth round pick, the ninth overall pick, which ended up being Dylan Gunther, which is like great player. Um, Antoine Roussel, Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle. And like, he's talking about OEL and somebody asked him like, well, he hasn't been very good the last couple of years. And he's like, well, his plus minus certainly hasn't been very good. I'm, I don't really know why. <laughs> like what? You just like, like, I don't know what he's thinking, man. Like I honestly, that is mind blowing to me. Like, but don't get me wrong. I love Connor Garland. The Vancouver Canucks four group is going to be fun to watch this year. Totally. Until Elias Pedersen's gone next year. Because they're paying Oliver Ekman Larkin Larson two hundred billion dollars until twenty thirty six. 
So how do you break that trade down? Because I know Vancouver fans obviously getting Garland is is well, it's funny if you look at it as a series of events. Like this guy literally signs Beagle, Roussel, and Erickson to terrible contracts years ago. Everyone's like, What are you doing, dude? That's terrible. Then he has to finagle his way out of it. But he does it like all of those contracts are expiring next season. So it's like you're finally just going to get some relief and be able to sign uh, Pedersen and Hughes. And you turn around and do this. Like, it's like you were finally almost out of those things. And it's like, now you're not. Like, what are you doing? So, like, I guess they think Oliver Ekman Larson is still going to be a good player. Well, I think they do. That's what it comes down to. That seems to be their play here, which, like, I'm sorry. I've never been a big Oliver Ekman Larson guy to begin with. I think he's been kind of overrated in his career, but I know we did an episode last uh, last offseason where it was like the Flames are in on it. Now. I was, like, having a freakout. It doesn't sound like me at all, but, like, that guy is not good at hockey anymore. Like he's terrible. And he almost makes, he makes seven, $7.2 million for like literally infinity. Like this goes until the end of 2027. All right. Who, who wins that trade? Uh, Arizona what, wins that trade. Like by hands what down. percentage? I by think what percentage? by a hundred percent. They like also, I, I get Connor Garland's a good player, but they weren't going to sign him. They're rebuilding, and they got the ninth overall pick. They bought a ninth overall pick with an absolute, like, absolute, not even anchor. This is like an anchor on the Titanic contract. They bought the ninth overall pick with one of the worst, worst contracts in the league. Like, you can't do much better than that in the trade. <laughs> and I got to say, like, is Arizona's, like, Wow, I am incredibly impressed with what they're doing. Are they just gonna? They have four. How many second round? They have five second round draft picks next year, and two in the first already. And like no money on the books for for the next season. Like these guys are wow. They've had an incredible offseason. They're doing what I thought Seattle was gonna do. So, a plus to uh, Bill. Is it Bill Armstrong in in Seattle? Like holy sh- or in Arizona? Guy is doing a hell of a job getting that rebuild rolling. They also signed Pullman. Uh, they re-signed <laughs> Hamannick. Yeah, it's like two two years at three mil. Three million dollars. What are you doing? You don't need to do that. Pullman and Shen as well. That's the I, I said the Oilers' defense is is the worst. That's the worst. That's the worst D in the league. So. Your, your two biggest Canadian division rivals in the Pacific division have the two worst decors in the league. The Canucks goaltending tandem's a lot better, though. They pick up Halak. Fuck. I don't know, man. It's, gonna be it's interesting. a weird assortment of moves. Like It's going to be interesting playing those two teams. They're pretty one-dimensional, offensively speaking, compared to how they play defensively. So, Like, I... like. Here's how Vancouver's pairs are going to roll down. Like Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers. That's your first pair. Travis Hamannick, like what? Jack Rathbone or or Quinn Hughes? Quinn Hughes, I'm sorry. Like Quinn Hughes. Poor Quinn Hughes. Get to New Jersey, bud. Get the hell out of there. That top six is going to be pretty sweet. 
Besser, Horvat, Miller, Garland, Pearson, and Pedersen. Oh, yeah, they're going to be dangerous. But, dude, signing Pedersen and Hughes long-term is going to be next to impossible. I don't know. Maybe they can do it. But that de- regardless, they're going to su- that defense is going to be so bad next year. Like, and again, if you, like you just said, I have full confidence now that the Flames can finish second in this division when you look at the moves the Oilers and the Canucks made. The last notable signing for the Flames. Do you want to touch on the rest of them or just? Is- no, they're all just like depth, like minor league guys. Meh. Yeah. We can we can touch on him. The one guy I did like was was uh the goalie Werner. He seems pretty good. He's got some he's got a rep that's he's got a pretty good rep. So but yeah. Dan I think I the Dan Vladar trade was actually like the, the pickup of the day for me. I like when Brad does that. I like when he makes trades that make sense. And they're like, hey, I didn't see that coming. He surprises me. I like when he makes shrewd moves. No. So Vladar is obviously they got him slotted to be the backup goalie for the season, eh? Uh, yeah. As from everything Brad said, he obviously didn't slam dunk, but he said, "Oh, come to camp, we'll see." But he pretty much said, "Yeah, that's the plan is for uh, them to have Vladar, which saves you a ton of money." Well, he makes league minimum, which is an absolute must. Um, the thing I like about him is that he's young. He had a bonkers good season in the AHL. In 2019-20, had the best save percentage in the league above guys like Shesterkin and Kakinen, who have established themselves as pretty good NHL goalies. He's young, he's cheap, because lots lots of potential. That's exactly what I'm looking for in a backup goalie. Yeah, I mean, you look, the first thing you said to me was it could be another Riddick, right? Yeah. You, find, you find a diamond in the rough. Obviously, their goaltending scouting has been good. So maybe it's another... Maybe it's another one of those guys. Yeah, and they said they've kind of been eyeing him for a little bit here. I I think this is my favorite pickup of of the of the day, actually. More so than Coleman. Yeah, just because just because it was shrewd. It's a good league. move. Like again, like I like when he makes trades that are like, yeah, that's a good move. That's an up. That's a smart move. I like I like smart moves. That is a uh, that's a fiscally responsible smart move i am the most boring flames fan that's what i like that's what gets me riled up is when the flames make moves that make sense fiscally so how many teams are left on eichel probably three or four dude I, it's so muddled i don't even know like i any most of my cues i take from like friedman he says the flames have been in and out and some other teams have been in and out the rangers have been in and out so I don't know, man. It sounds like it's kind of like three or four still kind of in the mix. Like, like maybe mini, uh, maybe the Rangers still. Well, unless there's like some secret team in there again, I, th- I still think Vegas is absolutely trying everything. They all kinds of weird shit to get it, to figure it out. Yeah. Apparently eh? you're, they're doing rituals and everything. Yeah. Like I would not be surprised. So, all right, we'll do our best not to get the hopes up because we know what happens with Brad Living and Co. When we do that, all I'll say is like if it comes if it comes down to it and like Vegas like if if that rumor of what like the ass from Vegas is is like actually true and it's like that's the kind of package that gets it done. I will I will it's the, it's something that's an unforgivable non move by Tree Living. 
Like if it comes out and it's like I said, if the package is like so nuts, it's like, no, we could never have done that, which is like, that's what I've assumed is going to be all along. Okay. That's understandable. But if it comes out, if it's like something we could beat or match, like I will be pissed. All right. Things to keep tabs on. Other than that, um, tree living may still not be complete, even if it, it doesn't involve Eichel. Um, there, there might be another trade in the works. It's, it sounds like, well, it was straight out of Calgary that was reporting on the Coleman thing, right? He's he, our in, boy, he had it. He had it. He's got an inside source. Everybody gave him shit and he had it. He was, he was right. Just the day he was wrong. Um, I also saw him say that they're not done yet. So, well, you got to think they're still looking for a D man. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like, cause again, I know the team doesn't think highly of Oliver Shillington. Like the D is still Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov, Rasmus, Mackie, Valamaki, Shillington. Like they still need to add another defenseman. I'm sure. Well, how come they haven't signed stone yet? Stone is, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're Mike Stone. Oh, yeah. That'll be like before camp, like right. That's their, later I in the summer. There's a ritual to it. You got to exactly. wait until, yeah, okay. You got to yeah. do a whole thing. Get a wait. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole process. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes your free agency recap. Um, obviously the picks, like we said, they're, they're, um, they're all fitting right into the center system going right along with what the overall vision appears to be with everything that we touched on. How would you rate out of 10 the free agency day slash two days for the Calgary Flames and what they could have done, blah, blah, blah? Well, I still think I need to see the final plan because, like, honestly, if this is still it, it's, like, it's not enough. I think they did some good things. So I'll give it, like, a 6 out of 10. I think they did just good enough. They didn't address every need. And they paid, they gave Blake Coleman a bit too long of a term, but end of the day, they added a top six forward and they got, they addressed a need on D and they addressed a need in their backup position. So it could have been worse, but it was okay. Hey, you made it. It's the end of the podcast. If you liked this episode, please do us a favor. Take a sec and leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. You can help us grow the audience and introduce some more unfortunate Flames fans to the show. So do it. Do it. Super easy. Just takes a second. Just tap on the show, scroll down, leave a rating slash review. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next one.